everybody. Welcome to Edgy Match. Thank you so much for tuning in. So you are now watching at podcasts.edumatch.org forward slash tweet talk. We are also on Twitter with the hashtag EduMatch. So you see we have some amazing panelists with us tonight who are going to be answering some uh, some great questions supplied by our moderator, Tara. So in a second, we're going to do introductions, but really quickly, just wanted to let everybody know about the person of the day. So just go to our site, edumatch.org and uh, click the sign up button on the top right-hand side. And then you will enter into a Google form where you can just supply some information about yourself. And we will tweet it out for you when it's your turn, which will, no lie, be in a few months. But in the meantime, we will tweet out your blog if it has a findable RSS. We'll add you to our awesome table of edgy matchers. And anytime a match comes up, uh, we will tag you in there. So that would be the perks of joining the person of the day. So tonight we are going to be talking about the future of learning experience. So uh, this is a great topic brought about by our fantastic moderator, Tara. So we're going to save her for last, but we're going to kick things off with introductions, starting with Rochelle. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, my name is Rochelle Poth. I'm a foreign language and Spanish and STEAM, mostly Spanish and STEAM teacher from outside of Pittsburgh. I've been teaching for 21 years, so we do a lot of different things in the classroom. And this topic is something we've been talking about really a lot of the time recently. So I'm excited to be part of the panel. Awesome. We are super excited to have you here. So thank you for joining us again. And we have Nick next. Hello, I'm, I'm Nick. I'm the founder of StackUp. Uh, StackUp is a Chrome extension that uses artificial intelligence to capture and measure all online reading and engagement across the web. Um, and so we provide this as a tool, uh, includes a dashboard for school leaders to understand how learning and engagement is being, being done across the web. Uh, and then the, we also have a student and teacher edition that allows teachers to assign reading and students to get credit for all online reading done across the web. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Nick. I love Stack Up. Huge fan over here. All yes. right. Yes. Next up, we have Micah. Hi, I'm Micah Shippey. I'm a seventh grade social studies teacher in the Syracuse, New York area. I'm also an academic researcher interested in uh, emergent technology, presently looking at VR and AR and their impact in the classroom. Um, but I'm really excited about the power of empathy and future learning and that, that as a focus. I love that interplay. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Micah. All right, next up we have LaDonna. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is LaDonna Menes. I'm an instructional designer with experience in the nonprofit sector, uh, working with a lot of community organizations and some museums. Um, a short bit of experience in K through 12. I got to actually teach some high school for a bit and currently working in higher ed. Um, I'm really passionate about playful learning and um, being kind of curious and toward problem solving in art education. Um, and I love imagining potential futures. So I was really excited when Tara told me about the kind of theme for tonight and talking about the future of learning experience design. Um, I was really pumped to join. So thanks for having me. Thanks for being here and welcome to the panel. Great to have you. Next up, we have Jenna. Thank you, Sarah. Um, my name is Jenna Polensky. I am currently the Director of Education and Music Content at Spectrums, which is a music tech company. Um, I have experience in music education. Um, I've been teaching uh, a lot of private lessons, uh, piano, voice, um, saxophone, 
um, for a few years now. Um, my background's in music. I'm currently a PhD uh, candidate at this at um, the University of Colorado Boulder, and I'm uh, trying to finish up a dissertation there. And um, I'm actually very new to learning experience design, but from what I've read about it and experienced of it, um, it's, it's, it's really an amazing concept and I really want to learn a lot more about it and um, talk with people a lot more about it. So thank you. Great, well, thank you for being here, Jenna and best wishes on the dissertation. Absolutely. And <laughs> next up we have Desiree. Hello everyone, I am Desiree Alexander. I am the founder CEO of Educator Alexander Consulting. I am I have been in education for since 2002. Um, have experience in middle school teaching, middle school and high school librarian, and um, district level instructional technology supervisor. Right now I run my company and called APAL in Louisiana and I am happy to be here. And we are happy to have you as always. So thank you for joining us, Desiree. All right, next up we have Charlie. Hi there, I'm Charlie Colonese. I'm the founder and CEO of School Runner. Uh, we're a K-12 data platform and work with uh, about 40,000 students across 12 states. Uh, and we work with helping schools uh, collect data to better understand what's working and not working in their schools, which I think is relevant here. And uh, I also uh, came out of my my K-12 education was mostly uh, in a uh, Dewey school, which was very experiential, uh, no textbooks, no tests, no report cards. And so uh, it's been very interesting to kind of blend that with uh, the work that I do now and and uh, have lots of thoughts about uh, all the different ways that, that learning can happen, uh, both inside and outside of a classroom. Awesome, well, thank you so much for joining us, Charlie. Great to have you on panel. And next we have Brianna. Hello all, I was a high school English teacher for about nine years. And um, in that time I also was a technology coach for teachers, so a peer coach. And I did a teacherpreneur year where I spent half my time in the classroom and half my time um, advocating for better teacher leadership and policy. And then I left the classroom to work for a nonprofit that again, continued the work and advocating for teacher leadership. Um, using a lot of technology. So technology was always kind of just vehicles for better learning, um, more opportunities for learning um, and advocacy for me. And I currently work at a nonprofit where um, I train school board members across the state of Pennsylvania. So continue to craft learning environments, but now with adult learners. Well, that is awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Brianna. And um, we're very, very happy to have you here. So next we're gonna have our awesome moderator and our originator of this topic. Tara, if you could please introduce yourself and then go ahead and kick it off with the first question. Sure, thank you so much, Sarah, for having me and having all of us and inviting us to have this panel. Um, it's so nice to meet all of you and say hi to those who I've known previously. My name is Tara Gilboa. I'm located in Colorado. I was previously a middle school, high school Spanish teacher. Recently, I've been working in higher ed doing curriculum redesign projects and doing a lot with virtual and blended learning. And I'm currently working for a company called Noodle Partners. And so we're doing bigger program redesigns and helping different higher ed curriculum move to the virtual space. So learning experience design, whatever we decide together, what that means as a group I'm really interested in. I think it involves a lot of collaboration. So I'm so thrilled that we have such a variety of backgrounds and people here today to kind of get into it. 
The first question is pretty, pretty level one, but what does learning experience design mean to all of you? I'm sure when you read that, you had your own interpretation or idea. So just putting it out there, what is learning experience design? I have a quick thought on it. That's okay. Um, I think that's the job. That's the job description of future teachers. I feel like that's what we're going to be doing is designing experience as a humanities teacher, particularly history. Um, I'm in danger of being a very Googleable content. So I feel my job focus has shifted from that of sage on the stage to guide on the side where my students are rather hearing from the pro in the front of the room. Um, I'm designing an experience that I hope fosters empathy. Awesome. Thank you, Micah. Anyone want to build on, on what he said? Yeah. I was just going to say, I, I, I really like that. I think that, um, you know, some teachers, my, my thought is always that their job is partly to inspire, but I think that experience is actually a better way to define it. You know, the, the content or the facts can be found in, you know, on Google, but how do you create a meaningful or experience? I think that that's, that's gotta be, that's gotta be key. Um, I really agree with that when you said meaningful, that kind of stuck out to me. I think uh, being a learning experience designer is all about kind of building the structure for these communities to engage in meaningful and memorable activities around any kind of shared interest or goal, um, whatever that might be. But I, I really appreciated you kind of connecting the meaningfulness of the importance of that environment too to hop in popcorn anyone else to build on that did someone have something completely different there's definitely no right or wrong answer i'm putting it out there in working within a traditional k-12 classroom and then working in sort of non-traditional classrooms with adult learners whether it was teachers whether it's school board members um the way that i've come to understand like learning design and the experience of learning is it extends far beyond what we're taught in teacher prep programs which is sort of um, the, the lesson planning part and a little bit of the assessment piece, but it's often really stuck in sort of the end, end assessment piece. And we're barely taught, quote unquote, classroom management. We kind of have to learn that on the job. And when I think of a learning experience with any learner, but especially with adult learners, uh, because they're not having to be compliant to our education system anymore and they're not in it every day, it's attending to the needs of, um, the individuals in the room. And I know personalized learning is such a buzzword, but when we say that in its truest form, it's understanding that the environment that we create has to match the people in the room who are trying to learn, and it has to match what we're trying to teach, and it has to um, acknowledge their needs and the way that they might need to learn. So I just think of it way more holistically, you know, the setup of it, the aesthetics, the tools, the pacing, um, the interactive, the way we attend to interaction and the way we let ex others share experiences. So it's not just a, you know, one person talking at the front or a couple of people. I think all of that is part of learning design. And I agree with the, um, the first person who spoke about that's really the job of teachers. But I think only recently have we really dug into a lot of um, a lot of that. And I think we're still starting to understand it. Thank you, Brianna. Um, so there is one thing that really um, kind of caught my attention in what you said, and then I'll pass it to Jenna to continue to add, but to put in the back of everyone else's minds, 
um, thinking about how this concept of how it's the future job of teachers or thinking of an educator as a learning experience designer, and then maybe bringing up the question of, now what is the team around that teacher? How does the team around the teacher change if we're bringing this kind of new lens perhaps? Just a thought. Take it away, Jenna. Um, I see learning experience design as an experience that is very tactical and very contextual. It's, I mean, I, I think about my own experiences in school, you know, being taught um, like certain concepts, but not having like the, either the technology or like the actual context, like in learning and, you know, just aside from like just the facts and everything, but actually like being able to have this, uh, like this amazing, and um, this, this hands-on experience of sorts at least in my own understanding of it. And um, I don't know, I, I think that it's it's a design experience that will enable um, users and students to be able to like have a better chance at um, more meaningful jobs in the future. Because I think, I know that that's a very difficult thing right now you know we go to college and you know there's kind of it's kind of like a paradigm shift you know there's this um idea that we go to college we learn all these things but we're not prepared you know to um work and live in this world that's like completely different from what we learned in college and i think that learning experience design is this is going to be this great approach to rethinking what we understand about school and work especially in the future. Anyone else to add on that who we haven't heard from? Yes, I would like to, this is Desiree. Um, my definition of learning um, design experience is that we're actually taking the, the content, the lesson that we're either teaching teachers or teaching students, and we're actually revolving that, that skill or that lesson around problem solving, around um, more authentic learning to where we're looking at not just the skill and content and you learning it, but how can you actually apply this? How does this, how does this, how do you live this? How, um, what kind of problems can these skills actually solve? And just having a more um, intensive learning environment more than just the, the kind of surface level of teaching. And um, I heard someone saying, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember who said what, but um, meeting them where they are. And I think that's a big part of learning design because you want to ask, you know, what does this person already know? What does this person, you know, what does this person need to actually be able to do whatever you're asking them to do? And that's a very personalized, um, personalized way of thinking about instruction. Just a quick thought to build off of Desiree, you're really nailing something there. You know, there's a ton of research available in the instructional design industry about what we call front-end analysis. And front-end analysis has us view each user as an individual with a certain motivation, learning in a certain environment, having a certain skill set, and a certain background knowledge. And, you know, there's some aspects of technology now that really let us customize for that. You know, if we think about it like a game where you set the level of the game at your own ability, and then you go forth in your learning experience um, in a responsive, dynamic learning manner. Um, that technology exists. It's, it's how do we embrace that and bring it into the classroom? 
Um, but again, I, I think it's been done in a lot of different industries. It's just about time it starts to come into education. Want to build on that, Charlie? Yeah, I think, uh, and this may kind of segue into your your next bit about um, you know kind of the role of the of the educator. But I think one of the things to think about is with the learning experience design, the the way that we think about that fitting into different parts of the you know the learning journey, right? I think uh, you know Nick talked about inspiration. I think that's right, but you know, like Micah was saying about VR and AR, there are other ways to uh, you know, achieve that to get at motivation. Maybe the, maybe the technology there is going to help with, uh, you know, by seeing something in VR gets you excited and motivated to learn more, or maybe that's the way that you actually, uh, learn a particular skill. I think, you know, for me, a big thing to think about is as these new technologies come in, they're going to play different roles and the technology may be valuable for some things, but there also may be things that are still best learned and experienced offline. Um, and part of the job of the learning experience designer is going to be to figure out what are things that that work really well and are successful and motivating and, and goal oriented through the uh, through technology and, and which things uh, are still best experienced, um, you know, in the absence of, of technology. I'm also starting to hear this theme as we're all sharing kind of our perspectives um, about these different like key stakeholders, key players, key tools just different elements um, across how we all see learning experience design as it is and the future thereof. Um, this wasn't one of the original questions I may have sent out, but if you want to take a moment to reflect on, in your you know, perspective and experiences, who are those key stakeholders? What are those key tools and players? Um, Micah, I heard you talking about this front, the front end approach. What was it that you, you called it? It's called front-end analysis, and front it's analysis. very it's very simply a, assessing the user before you begin the learning journey with them. Totally. Um, what do they bring? It's what also do they called bring to the needs table? analysis. Yeah, it needs yeah. assessment is built right into front-end analysis. Yes, absolutely. So I'm curious to learn from all of you. Please teach me. What are these the tools that we consider to be part of learning experience design, along with stakeholders or players? I'm interested uh, about what we might have in common or, or potentially things we can offer one another. One of the biggest tools that I use when I'm thinking about learning design is um, cultural responsive pedagogy. And I know they're two separate things, but I feel like they play very well hand in hand. Um, so I feel like with um, culturally responsive pedagogy, when you're looking at how is this skill, how is this lesson, connected to the students' lives? How is this lesson connected um, to the student's culture? Why would a student find this lesson valuable? When you're looking at those types of questions, I feel like it directly connects to the learning design where um, a lot of just what Michael was saying, we kind of built, keep building off each other. But um, what Michael was saying that you, you have to know your students or if, whether that's you know, children or teens or adults, you have to understand, you know, how, how would this lesson, how would this skill actually be impactful for them? And as a teacher, your role in that, I do feel like it's more of a facilitator. It's more of, okay, how can I kind of guide the lesson or facilitate the lesson to where it, they can see the value in it. They can understand, um, 
you know, they can buy into it. They can understand why is this, why is this important? Why is this a meaningful experience? Why would I need to know this? How is it going to change my life? Um, so I feel like those in learning design can be that cultural responsive pedagogy piece. I'll just tell a quick story. Someone was just telling me the other day about uh, a lesson they were given and it was a math lesson, but it required understanding how to score golf. And so it was like, just to that point, you know, you had kids who didn't understand how golf was scored and you had to do this whole lesson on, you know, the context of, of the game of golf just to teach a math lesson. And it was just such a, a terrible example of exactly that, you know, failing at that to, to have pedagogy that was, that was actually, you know, culturally uh, responsive. I was, uh, maybe kind of switching gears here, but going back to what Charlie said, you know, it all has to be a combination of teacher and technology. My domain is technology. So I, I only feel like I can really comment on that, but it doesn't mean the other parts not uh, just as important. Um, but in stack up what we've built and, and while we're building features, we, we try to juggle between, okay, how do we make this as meaningful and interesting and for students, how to get them, you know, as engaged as possible. And an example of this is we allow students to read across the entire web, right? Anything they want, uh, we categorize it and we put it into various reading levels. Um, but at the same time, that, that doesn't work for teachers, right? We need some accountability and they need to be able to measure it, progress and so on. And so, and so we've added that component and um, into it where they can see that. But on the meaningful, the meaningful side and the experience side, we, we like to start with the student and what will their experience be? and then tie back accountability and learning outcomes on the teacher side. I really, really like um, what Desiree said about culturally responsive pedagogy. I think you're really onto something there. Uh, it's super, super intimate to design something for the culture that you work in. I, I don't, it, it's really empowering for teachers. It, it's something that cannot be standardized. We can't have generalizable culturally responsive teaching. It has to be done by the teacher in the room. I mean, I've even, I mean, there are some things that can be somewhat generalized, but for the most part, to make meaning in one town is not necessarily the same meaning as the town next door or the neighborhood next door. Um, I did a study of, uh, I, I posed to my students the question, can smells positively impact learning? And they all laughed at me about it. And I asked them, well, what smells would you think is positive? And it was neat for them to see how different people had a different perspective, right? There was a recent study we stumbled on with the kids, total tangent here. And the study said um, the smell of spearmint in the United States brought positive um, feedback to the users, but the same smell in Great Britain was negative because it reminded people of hospitals. And so it was so cool to think about how that's an example of culturally responsive design and how you can't generalize that to Desiree's point. It's something that's done by a teacher who's empowered in their community. I've also heard critical digital pedagogy being used more and more often. So this idea of culturally responsive teaching when it comes to how we build technology, how we look at all the components of a learning experience, how is it threaded throughout and um, how do we assess for that? How do we design for that? How do we hold ourselves accountable? Um, I think it's getting messier, but it's so important. I'm so glad Desiree brought it up to be part of this conversation. Stay tuned. The EduMatch podcast will be right back. If you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, 
You better wake up and pay attention. It's either now or never to make your dreams come true. You better wake up and pay attention. Hey, everybody, it's Dean from Orlando, Florida, coming to you on Monday, April 2nd, 2018. And I am very excited because today is the official release date of my first solo book titled The Why in You. Journey to the Why in You. I'm very excited that this is available on Amazon in Kindle versions and in paperback. There's your back cover right there. I am so excited because when I think about my journey as an educator, it didn't start yesterday. It started even from an early age. And so this book contains anecdotes, stories about the why in me. And so as you read it, as you pick it up, and I encourage you to do so, I challenge you to consider the why in you, the obstacles, right? That were not always positive. They were not always easy. The journey's never easy, but it is worth it. And there is something positive in every negative if you, if you can just see it. I really do believe that. There is something positive in every obstacle that if you could just see it, it will help you to continue going on that journey as an educator, as an administrator, as a teacher. Um, and so we have a job to do. And, um, and so that journey is so important to be embraced. And thank you in advance for checking it out on Amazon. Again, it's the why in you. You can even type my name in on Amazon. It should pop it right up. You can also go to deanganey.com and find it there. Uh, you can click directly on the link and it'll take you to Amazon. Again, thanks in advance for checking it out and have a great day as well as identify the why in you. with EduMatch. How about what you might think about how um, neural networks and AI will impact, how that might impact the future of learning experience design in the future? I've been quiet, but everything that everybody's saying, I'm like, yeah, totally. There's nothing else that I could have actually added to that. But a couple of things I was thinking about is, you know, I'm in the classroom and I have students who take Spanish and students who take a STEAM course with me. It's on emerging technology. And so it's really awesome for me because I've always loved school and learning and technology. And it's not always about the tech. It's about the experience of what it can do differently for the students. And about two months ago, I was doing some research on AI to write a, a blog post for Getting Smart. And I was amazed at all of the things that are out there that like you don't even necessarily think of that are considered to be AI and looking forward to the future, like how is it going to impact students? Um, just some really interesting things where, you know, now we're talking about personalizing instruction and, and finding what each student needs. Because before you were teaching your class, not necessarily teaching each student, but now you want to focus on each student and what they need. And to do that, you have to have the time for the conversations. Um, and we have all of these other skills and things that teachers have to kind of take on now. Um, in doing that, but with artificial intelligence, the possibilities for, I mean, teaching foreign language, they're using things like Google Translate or asking like Siri or Cortana or whoever, like, how do you say whatever this word is? And um, it's the accessibility for them. And I know that some of the things that might come up in five, 10 years, who knows, uh, it could be where students are working on something and artificial intelligence is kind of tracking how they're doing in that, and then it's directing them to some other resource, 
Uh, they might have some kind of a, a tutor that's an AI tutor, and, and, you know, instead of a personal, like, you know, connecting with them. So I think it's going to open up so many more possibilities for, for learning um, beyond what you, I can even possibly imagine right now. Um, it's, it's really interesting. I don't even know if I answered your whole question on that one, but I get excited thinking about the possibilities and just amazed at how quickly some things are answered for us today uh, and to see where it's going to go in the next five or 10 years. Thanks, Rochelle. Is anyone else similarly excited, but also totally freaked out about how educators and those of us with background in education are going to lose control of how we can inform instruction and design some of these learning experiences because of AI and other things that I don't know a lot about? Are we not involved enough in how everything's being built to inform the experiences we want to have? I'm kind of excited about some of it. You know, I have um, Google Home with my children. I have an eight and 10 year old and watching them interact with Google Home and ask questions and um, do Mad Libs and play freeze dance with, you know, something that's responsive to them is pretty exciting. I think AI has the potential to really return us back to perhaps the most natural form of teaching and learning, and that's master and apprentice. So if the master, I don't want to credit AI as the master yet, but in 10 years, who knows? They could be the overlord. Skynet is coming. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, they, they can ask questions and get quick responses faster than I can go around a room of 25 kids. Um, and that's more individualized in the attention that they receive. It becomes my job to make sure that experience uh, is meaningful, is uh, relevant to their context, um, and that it has, a, again, a powerful learning opportunity for them. I'm excited about it and totally freaked out. Yeah, I, I can uh, add a little bit to that. I think we're, I think everyone's freaked out a little bit. Um, but, you know, AI is really built upon data. And so as we, you know, increase the data that we have on learning experience design, I think it really can empower um, our efforts. Um, and, and so, um, you know, we have to iterate, right? To improve learning experience design, um, we have to iterate and AI helps us iterate faster. And so I think that um, it really has the ability to, to just to empower educators, teachers, everyone um, to just build upon learning experience design at a faster rate. Anyone else want to build on that? Excited, potential, fears, how will it shift? Um, our, our contributions to experience design for learners? I'll just say a couple things. I love Micah connecting uh, AI to sort of curiosity, right? The the number of questions that a learner can get uh, answered, um, you know, when you can just ask and answer a million questions to the to the to the net and and get those answers back, right? It can really spark that curiosity. So I think that's something to be excited about. I I'll take the counterpoint on uh, being terrified. Uh, I think the the sense right now for someone who studied uh, machine learning in in uh, you know master's program in computer science, uh, what machine learning is good at right now right now is matching up how close is you know your current state of the world to some very clearly defined uh, desired state of the world right so that's awesome for chess and go and even driving because uh, you know that the car is supposed to be on the road but it, it's really not that intelligent at the moment it doesn't mean it won't become that way but. I think there's a lot of stuff that people get freaked out about when they see, uh, you know, the robot open the door, uh, and it's like, you know, what? That's actually a, it's actually not that hard of a problem, and I don't think we should be that terrified of, of the intelligence of it uh, in terms of what the capabilities are right now. 
Thanks, nerdy Charlie. <laughs> Um, I've got another another question to throw into the mix. I've got two more. So because we have a diverse group of panelists here, um, I'm curious to think about, from your perspectives, what you think in five years the relationships will look like between districts, schools, more businesses and startups as we continue to collaborate and design these learning experiences. Maybe what do you want want those collaborations to look like? What do you think they're going to look like between startups, businesses, districts, schools? How are things going to shift? How are we going to be working together to design future learning experiences? What would you like it to look like? I'm afraid of uh, shared resources going to the extent where one teacher teaches 100 students at a time or coaches 100 students at a, at a time instead of um, the 25 in our small local community. You know, I keep thinking about what Desiree said about culturally responsive design. That's so important. And I've seen articles of a classroom full of 100 kids in China all on virtual reality headsets, all being taught by one person. Um, you know, financially in education, we're, there's never enough money. And um, I worry about that being a fast, quick solution in education um, um, that, uh, again, it scares me. Uh, is it going to create better experiences? I don't know. I watched Ready Player One this weekend, and I was pretty stoked about that. So I'm not sure. <laughs> Micah, do you think that's a real, a real possibility, a real fear that you could see certain districts or schools going that direction here? I is do. that far off? I do. I do. I think the cost of virtual reality is coming down dramatically. Oculus Go has just released a high-end product for less than $300. I mean, it's, it is becoming very inexpensive. Uh, my fear is that that's less expensive than my salary. And, you know, with teacher strikes around the country in the U.S. and with uh, educational institutions looking to cut costs and share resources, um, I worry that that's going to, technology is once again going to be thought of as a quick fix. fix. You know, but just because we have ability to use technology doesn't mean that it's the most positive solution in our learning context. Thank you. And just to jump in with what Mike is saying, I really do think that is a strong possibility of where we're going. If we look in schools now and we see a lot of remediation courses being taught online and, you know, the room is just, you pretty much just have a facilitator and it's all these students, you know, on the computers with headsets and getting their remediation skills. So I feel like it's happening now. So, you know, why wouldn't that be if I... If I'm seeing this and I'm going, oh, well, you know, they're getting their remediation skills. Why can't they get the new skills this way, too? And I'll just have, a, you know, a facilitator in there with 100 students to help them when they have a question. Then um, I can definitely see that being a Band-Aid on education. And it is very scary. Brianna, do you perhaps have any perspective from more of the admin district level? In, in your area, does that does that feel similar? Does it feel different for where you're at? Yeah, I was, I didn't really have anything to add as far as, I just completely agree. I mean, in higher ed, you see a slower to transition than K-12. I have this theory that, um, you know, elementary is the first to adopt innovative practices and then middle school follows because you have a team of teachers working together. High school follows but every teacher is sort of isolated in silos and it takes a little bit longer because they're content experts or they see themselves as content experts rather than teachers of students. Um, and then it just gets worse at, at higher ed. Um, 
because pedagogy isn't really emphasized. It's even more emphasis on um, content expertise and, and the, the practice and, of learning and the pedagogy of learning isn't really something that's valued highly, which is why I think you see the crisis in higher head. But that's all that to say, totally. yes, at all levels, um, at all levels, technology already is being seen as a way to cut costs to serve more students with less manpower because when we look at school board, like frankly, school board, when they're making budget decisions, they can't really do anything unless they cut teacher positions because the most expensive thing that they fund is salaries and benefits. Like by far, it just is like 75% of their budget. So if they're asked to make cuts, they have to do it in personnel. So if they can find what they think is a win-win, and this is the same at the college higher ed level, then yeah, they're gonna they're going to see it as a win-win. And so as a teacher in classrooms, I really resonate with all the concerns about what that is because I was in a remediation classroom. I was asked to remediate kids for our state test. And, um, you know, they looked at study Island and some of these like God awful things that I just knew these students are not passing our assessments because they're not engaged and learning isn't relevant to them. Stick them in front of a screen with little animated figures is not going to make it more, more relevant to them. So it's a yes and like it's it's prevalent on all levels to see technology as a cost saver and at the same time um it's very concerning to me um to slowly start to wrap up this twitter chat if everyone would take a moment to kind of reflect and think about if you were giving advice to the next like generation of learning experience designers what what would you say to them what's important to to keep in mind or thinking about it could be a future learning experience designer who's an educator. Maybe it's someone who is coming from more of the ed tech side and is collaborating with a school or a district. What's some really like practical practical advice? What like one piece of advice that you'd have of you know culturally responsive teaching needs to be part of critical pedagogy needs to be at the forefront of the design process always to um, reflect a little bit on what Desiree was sharing. But take a moment, think about that piece of advice and, and share it. I like the way you, you phrased that, kind of summing up what we've already talked about with culturally responsive pedagogy. Uh, the other way, if I was to give advice to educators or learning design experiencers of the future, um, I would really have them revisit the SAMR model and think of that as a way of approaching individual lessons. You know, I, I think in someone in the ed tech industry, we get super excited about technology and try to evangelize that love for the newest, latest, and greatest, but it's super intimidating for the average uh, instructor. So just taking each lesson and approaching it uh, slowly, trying to substitute or augment, and eventually modify and redefine what you're teaching, uh, it is it, not your entire career, just in small chunks. Um, I guess if I was, I'm thinking of a first-year teacher in my head, that might be a good approach. So there's, there's plenty out there, we just need to see it applied. I would say, especially to a, a if it's a, especially if it's a new teacher, but even a teacher that's just starting to kind of think through all of these processes and things like that is take it slow. Take one thing that you want to um, incorporate, you know, one thing that you want to be better at and and run with that, research it, you know, learn about it, get books, whatever, and then start to implement it. If you try to implement everything, you're going to drive yourself crazy, um, especially with you trying to implement and then it may be going against what people 
um, are telling you to do or, you know, um, are telling you how to teach and things like that. So just take it slow, take, you know, bite off one thing at a time. And if it's, if it's, you know, when well, you know, I want to be more culture responsive, I want to uh, connect these lessons more to my students' lives. Okay, well, bite that off. I want to use more technology. I want to use more technology in a um, in a deeper way than it just being replacement, you know, looking at the SAMR model. Okay, then bite that off. But don't, I mean, don't try to do everything and change everything at one time. You're just going to drive yourself crazy. It's going to be a hot mess. The students are not going to know which way you're going and what you're doing. Um, so just take one thing at a time. Just like teachers have always done or educators have always done is you want to better yourself. So do one thing at a time, better yourself, and then you can open it up or it may lead to other stuff. I think that um, taking it slow is key, but uh, also have to remember that design is an important word in all this and you have to be prepared to, to make mistakes and tweak it and fix it. And uh, no one has you know, perfect design out of the gate. And I think that applies to this as well. We never talked about iteration and purposeful design. Thank you, Micah. Yeah, I um, I definitely agree with that and focusing on an iterative process that keeps the learner's experience and their feedback at the forefront of the, your decision making and making sure every time you're iterating, you are considering the voices of your user base. So getting their feedback and not making assumptions about you know, their use or what we think might be better let's talk to them. Let's find out whether that's, you know, a youth advisory council for that age group that you're working with that gives you feedback during the development process or, um, you know, just like a focus group, whatever it might be, uh, get their feedback and, and build that into your iteration. Ooh, can I jump off of that? Cause that, that resonates so much with what I would say. I, I love what you just said about that. Um, it's one of my passion points is that feedback loop anytime you're designing learning. Um, and I was just going to say simply, all great learning is a combination of a growing self-awareness and a growing empathy. It doesn't matter what you're teaching. It doesn't matter who you're teaching. If you are trying to learn more about yourself and how you are delivering, creating, um, prompting, pushing, all of those things that we do as instructors, if you're learning more about yourself and are self-reflective, and then at the same time, developing deeper and deeper empathy for those who you're doing this for. I think that that's at the core of all of our best learning experiences. Developing empathy, iterating, putting our learners' feedback first and foremost into our design process. If we truly do that, we should have culturally responsive teaching at the forefront, no? Anyone else to, to jump in on, on takeaways, future advice? I I love what everyone's been saying here, and I wholeheartedly uh, agree with that. Um, it's, you know, I, I've been in classrooms, I, I'm talking about like in a musical context, um, I, I've seen technology go really, really wrong. And, you know, just like it's taking up like time and it's taking up um, so much energy and students are getting angry. And um, I've also seen it work really well in a in a practicing context too and i think i absolutely agree that you know it's very important to get that user feedback i think that is um what's going to you know keep this learning design experience like going on and on and um 
I think that there's um, there's always I, I feel like there's always a little bit of vulnerability when it comes to incorporating like new technology into the classroom. And, you know, it's I think a lot of it is trial and error. And I totally do agree with the, the feedback loop. You got to have that. Everything that everybody else has said, but I do as a classroom teacher, I, I found that you really need to start with the relationships, no matter what your role is. So everybody needs to basically be open about what they're feeling about it. Like what you have to meet people where they are and knowing their backgrounds and their experiences and what they're going to bring into the classroom or to the table um, and knowing that it's going to be a new experience and there there's going to be mistakes and you can't take on everything at once and you have to be okay with that too. And as a teacher, trying to model for the students like, yeah, I make mistakes. Okay, big deal. I fail. Oh, well, I'll try again. But there's learning in that as well. And so making sure that, you know, you don't close off opportunities because you're afraid to try something or you're waiting for that perfect moment, like the vulnerability. Yeah, you got to put yourself out there and try something. And if it doesn't work, okay, well, why didn't it work? And have that conversation, that feedback, uh, and then just take the next step forward. How we're incorporating them and that their voices are truly being heard because we're using it as, as we design our next next experiences. This was such a rich conversation and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed listening. And as I was saying in our internal chat, I can't wait to go back and listen to it as I'm editing it because going between the, the YouTube live and the Twitter, there were some things I missed, but I can't wait to go back in and give this like a deep listen. Um, just being a fly on the wall, I learned so much tonight. And, um, and I'm going to give it a third listen as well after it's put out there as a podcast, like listening to it that way as well. So thank you all so much for your amazing, amazing insight. Thank you, Tara, for, uh, for a wonderful topic and for, for moderating, uh, doing an excellent job with that. And, um, and all of you are welcome back at any time. Also wanted to thank everyone who is tweeting with us, everyone who is commenting on YouTube Live. There were just so many great, great conversations uh, coming out of this nice topic. So next week we will be off, but the following week we will be back for a conversation about restorative justice featuring um, Victor Small. So uh, if you all are not already part of the RJ League, then check them out. They are going to be doing their Twitter chat tonight at 8 p.m. on Twitter. They have a wonderful Voxer group. So check that out as well. Um, in addition, just wanted to give a huge shout out to Dean Ganey for releasing his first book, The Why in You. So that was on Monday and um, just great feedback coming from that. So congratulations, Dean. And also shout out to Brian Costello, whose first book will be coming out on May 14th. So the pre-order for that is available on Amazon. So Everybody, thank you all again for joining. Just great, great conversation. And um, yeah, Sarah, just, yeah, hey. I thank think you. Micah has a book coming out too. Micah, tell us a little bit about your book, please. Yeah, thanks for putting me on the spot, Desiree. Uh, I'm in the middle of writing my first book, Wanderlust EDU, The Quest for Innovativeness. Uh, builds off of the work for my dissertation and tries to make it into a more practical approach to uh, the teacher's journey addressing aspects of what motivates us to teach and how we can help other people along in the teaching process. Nice, Micah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yes, cannot wait to check that out when it comes out. So that is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Micah. And thank you, Desiree, for, for giving him that shout out. So awesome, awesome, awesome. And also wanted to open the floor if anyone else has an announcement uh, that y'all wanted to, to share. Um, would love to hear. No, no announcement. Uh, other than let us know uh, if anyone has a school that's adopting Chromebooks one-to-one, -one, that's 
really where stack up shines where we really see uh, really a, a big difference in teaching and learning outcomes. So check us out to stackup.net. Absolutely. And I can definitely vouch for that as well. Love stack up. So love the work that y'all do. So wonderful. Wonderful. And Jenna, uh, were you about to say something as well? I was about to say something. But thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I was just going to say um, I'm really grateful for being on this panel. Um, I like I said at the very beginning, I don't have a lot of this is my like first entryway into um, learning more about learning experience design. And I'm just like sitting here with all of these ideas because um, there are so many different ways I think this can be applied to music. And I feel really inspired about that. So um, I, I feel like I need to explore this more in the musical classroom. So more on that to follow, I suppose. <laughs> All right. We can't wait to hear from you with the follow up from that. So that is awesome. That is awesome. So thank you again to everybody for joining us tonight and uh, join us again in two weeks where we will be back talking about restorative justice. So um same bad time, same bad channel, podcast.edumatch.org forward slash tweet talk. And if you want to be on panel, podcast.edumatch.org forward slash sign up. And we're also going to have like more, um, more episodes added to our list. So that should be up before the 22nd. So just check that link out. All right, everybody. Thank you again for joining us and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your evening. Edge match. It's edge match. Edge match. You're an edge match. Edge match. Don't miss edge match.